BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. An incredibly deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. With LinkedIn ads, you'll be able to target over 70 million decision makers all in one place. No deep voice required. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. Terms and conditions apply. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Hello, welcome to another episode of the Mark Moss Show, where we're always talking about the decentralized revolution. We're talking about global deglobalization. We talk about it through the lens of politics, finance, and technology. And of course, it's always technology that changes the world. And we talk about Bitcoin, the decentralized technology, and how it's changing the world as we know it. You know, I like to bring to you some education to change the way that you think, some late-breaking news so you stay on top of it, but always some interesting guests so you can get some different perspectives than just my own. And of course, today I have my good friend Nico Moran, he is the host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content strategy with Swan, founder of Bitvolt, and uh, he is a Bitcoiner and he's a freedom lover as well. Nico, thanks so much for joining me today. Happy to be here, Mark. Uh, absolutely love your show and uh, I'm stoked. Yeah, thanks. Um, you know, before we uh, started recording, we were about to jump into some conversation. I said, hang on, hang on, hang on, before we, before we do, let me hit record. Um, you know... I was talking uh, just real quickly um, about this sustainable development goal number 16, which is digital ID, and how that's the, per the UN's document, this is like the linchpin that they need to get everything else in order. And um, then I hadn't really even thought about um, how even like the money gets pooled to kind of sort of help build all of this. And you were about to um, say something and I kind of cut you off. Do you remember what that was? Yeah, of course. Uh, so it's very clear what, uh, what governments are trying to do. I think uh, Lawrence, part said it best they're trying to hold on to the privilege of being able to create money for free that everyone else has to work for right they've had that privilege for decades and decades and decades and decades and this is why bitcoin is so important i have a i have a, I have a saying that i say all the time bitcoin or slavery i talked to Beautyon, who is the co-founder of Asteco. it's this non-kyc it's a, it's a way to buy bitcoin non-kyc and i told told beauty said hey um, do you agree with that statement? He said, no, Nico, it's not Bitcoin or slavery, it's Bitcoin or death. And he elaborated on that. What did he mean by Bitcoin or death? Well, think about all the endless wars that are happening, the response to the pandemic, right? All of that is enabled by fiat. They need fiat in order to, to do all these things that they've been getting away with for, for all these decades. But there's a silver lining to this. And the silver lining to this is we're witnessing or living through the great disintermediation. And what I mean, when, when I say that, I mean the great disintermediation of information, but also the great disintermediation of money that has all been enabled by the internet. 
And I think it's going to enable freedom, the likes of which humanity has never seen before. But only if people wake up, only if people start uh, doing their own research, only if people start taking a bit of personal responsibility, taking self-custody of their wealth. And of course, you know, seeking their own information sources. You see how the government is reacting to social media. They want to censor it. They, 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 you know, they, they, the U.S., the Biden administration tried to release the, the Ministry of Truth. So I think they know they're losing control. But uh, that just tells me that we're winning. Wow, you gave me your. Uh, we got, we got, we got the whole show just covered in one in one rant. Let's let's break that down a little bit. So I want. There's a lot I want to dig into there. Let's just go back to the beginning. You you know you tweet every day, Bitcoin or slavery. Uh, Beauty on says it's not slavery, it's death. Um, I I think that some things are worse than worse than death. Um, slavery might be worse than death. Uh, like, you know, there's certainly things that are, are worse. Um, the saying you know, we, we say in America is, you know, live on my feet, rather live on my feet than die on my knees, so to speak. Um, so in regards to that, um, you, you haven't changed your tweet. You still tweet that out, right? Bitcoin or slavery. Um, so without, why do you say that specifically, though? Because it's clear that governments are moving f uh, full speed ahead at releasing these central bank digital currencies, right? Even in the US, right? Coincidentally, when they denied Caitlin Long's uh, a, a federal banking charter to make her bank, Custodia Bank, competitive with other banks, uh, shortly after the, uh, the White House released the Presidential Economic Report, it's a yearly report. In that report, they dedicated 20 entire pages as to why central banking is necessary, CBDCs are necessary, and why you need a state to have a money. Also in Europe, you have a big push for CBDCs as well. And of course, China, which I think a lot of the Western countries are really taking cues from. And I think what they're trying to implement in the West is a China light model. Uh, we saw it. We saw it in the response to the Canadian truckers protests, how, look, they just cut off people's money for, you know, for a political protest. So I think governments all around the world, including in Western countries, are moving full speed ahead to implement a central bank digital currency system. If they are successful in doing that, that is basically controlling society because they'll shut off their money. They'll penalize you if you, if you have certain beliefs, certain thoughts. Um, and then the other alternative is Bitcoin. So I think it's a little bit obfuscated right now. I think people are asleep to how dire things can get and will get if they don't wake up. But that's why I mean Bitcoin or slavery. Bitcoin or slavery, and when I mean slavery, I mean central bank digital currencies. And we all know what, what already happens when a country migrates to a Bitcoin standard. Look at what's happening in El Salvador. It's not a coincidence that a country that fixed the base layer of society, they made it a sound base layer, the person who was elected into office is actually doing the things that he said he was gonna do if he was elected. And it's not a coincidence that he has the highest approval rating of any president in the Americas, right? And it has them terrified. Look at the legacy corporate media. Look at how they reacted to, uh, to Naim Bukele. Look at how they're reacting to Javier Mali, right? When he's saying he wants to end the central bank, right? You have the legacy corporate media attacking him like crazy. And that just tells me that those two individuals are over the target. So that's what I mean when I say Bitcoin or slavery. Yeah, I know uh, you, you mentioned the trucker protest in Canada, and I think the whole world sort of got kind of brought up and saw this kind of, uh, you know, front and center, if you will. And I remember that's really when I kind of started thinking about without the ability to transact, or I should say the freedom to transact, there is no freedom. 
And so we think about in, in America, we have you know freedoms that were given to us or secured by the Constitution, such as freedom of speech or freedom of transact or freedom of uh, freedom of speech or freedom of assembly, for example. But if I don't have the freedom to transact to put gas in my truck to go to the assembly, or I don't have the ability to transact to buy food when I'm there, or hotel room, et cetera, then you, then you have no freedom. And so, into your point, you know, if you have CBDCs which are totally controlled, then you have no freedom. You only have the freedom they give you. Your freedom of choice is choose A or B. Right? Choose choose the choice they give you. And so there really is no freedom there. And I think that's just uh, just super glaring. And then, uh, you know, kind of going back to the UN's goals as well, you have throwing the digital ID. So, for example, what they want is that you can't get a SIM card without an ID. You can't go on the Internet without an ID. And, and then you put those two together, and it certainly is, uh, certainly is a world of slavery. You know, you mentioned um, what's going on in El Salvador, which is pretty interesting. Um, I think it's a great experiment. We have lots of these experiments. For some reason, people just can't wake up to them. For example, you have, uh, I think, arguably the two best best experiments ever in human history, and we can just see them. They're not old. Um, in Germany, you have one group of people living in one area that have the same um, genes, the same lineage, the same ideology, and you literally put a wall down the middle in Berlin. You had East and West Berlin. And one side adopted uh, socialism or communism, and one side stayed free, and one, the communist side just fell apart. They couldn't, they couldn't do anything. We have uh, North and South Korea. They literally put a wall, the same people, the same continent, the same area, and one side is light at night, and one's, or, you know, one is dark. Um, and, and we have these going for us, and, and then to your point down in El Salvador, you have someone that goes back to like a, a, to your point, like a sound money that gives you like a good foundation, more freedom principles, as well as um, not just freedom principles, but also a rule of law. And I think that's a, that's a strong piece there. A lot of people think that he's a dictator because he went and really was pretty harsh on some of the crime. But look at the benefits to society from that. Um, most smart people you would think would look at these examples and go, shoot, it works pretty good over there. Like, maybe we should do more of that. Uh, but unfortunately, governments, and to your point, uh, the point that you made of Lawrence Lepard, when the governments can continue to print money, then they don't have a feedback loop and they can continue just to pour into stupid ideas and they don't really learn the consequence. Um, I want to get your take on that, but I got to take a quick break. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm joined by Nico Moran. He's the host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content strategy over at Swan, uh, definitely a friend of the program and founder of Bitvolt. So check those things out. We're talking about Bitcoin or slavery and a whole lot more. You don't want to miss the rest of this conversation. We'll be back in a minute after a very short break. So don't go away. We'll be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. 
So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. Sitting down with Nico Moran, the host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content strategy over at Swan. And uh, Nico, you know, um, before the break, we were just kind of talking about some of these highlight examples that we have of um, of El Salvador, right? And and how things are changing. And you have you have Javier Mili down in Argentina. You mentioned that. I think you're Argentine. Are you Argentine? I'm originally I'm originally from Venezuela. Venezuela. Yeah. Okay, Venezuela. I got that. Sorry. Uh, but you know, one thing that I think is pretty interesting um, is that I've always thought, you know, with democracy. Mob, you know, mob rule um, that once, you know, the majority wants to start voting themselves more money, more benefits, like no politician could ever win on a campaign to take that away. So I've always thought like there's just no way out of it once you sort of reach that level. But Argentina is showing us that maybe you actually could. Maybe people would actually vote for that. I mean, what's your thought on that? Yeah. So uh, so essentially it's it's interesting because the narratives that you hear from the legacy corporate media is Javier Mali is a danger to democracy. Nayib Bukele is a danger to democracy, even though in I, I agree with you, Mark, right, that the whole democratic thing. But it's interesting what happens when the democracy goes against them. And that makes you question right. what is their actual definition of democracy? And if you look at either Marxist history or communist history or socialist history, they don't their the definition of democracy is not the same as ours. Like if you look at Korea's uh, like actual name, North Korea's uh, actual name, it actually has the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. So they have a whole different definition. And you were mentioning the Berlin Wall and you're mentioning North Korea and South Korea. This is a this is a this is a subject that uh, that hold that I hold near near and dear to my heart. I saw my home country completely destroyed by socialism in 20 years. I live I also live in Miami. So I see Cubans literally risking their lives getting on the raft just to reach Miami for freedom. Right. And the amazing thing about Bitcoin. Right. Is that. It's an end to that. And I think that's why they react the way they do. If you take away their wealth, redi re wealth redistribution mechanism of 
printing money. It's extracting wealth from the lower and middle classes. I think it calls that whole ideology, that political system into question. And I think that's why they're reacting the way they are. In Argentina, we have a very interesting case study going back to Javier Mali, because you have a country who's in, you know, who's currently enduring 100, what it's 105% inflation, 110% inflation. People are sick and tired of the traditional political parties. And it kind of created a very similar situation to El Salvador. El Salvador dealt with, what, 20, 30 years of war. People were sick and tired of the same political parties, and they were ready to try something new. Right. So you have very interesting you have very interesting case studies in El Salvador and Argentina. I think when people get pushed to an extreme, they want to try something different. And that's in stark contrast to the West where the bread and circuses are strong. The inflation rate isn't high enough for people to start asking a very, very important but very basic question. And that question is, what is money? Yeah. So um, what you're saying is that uh, we only move when the pain is high enough. And so it's like you have a friend or family member who's an alcoholic or drug addict, and you're like, you need help, you need rehab or whatever, um, but they don't see it, right? The pain hasn't got high enough. And so then you go, well, they have to hit rock bottom first. And so you have to, unfortunately, uh, not always, I mean, un- unfortunately, your country, your, your home country of Venezuela hasn't hit rock bottom yet, and it's been, been pretty far. But some of these countries like, uh, Ven- or like uh, Argentina potentially have. But I just think it's an interesting thought, um, because like I said, I thought maybe there's no way out of it in this democracy, if you will. Um, do you follow Balaji on Twitter? I don't know. Balaji, if you, if you I, he him. sounds from uh, he sounds familiar. I think I do follow him, but uh, what are you referring? Uh, to? He's been talking a lot about these like different forms of democracy uh, recently. He wrote like uh, what was it? Uh, the network state. He's been talking about that network state. That piece. Uh, he's like an original founder of Coinbase, and uh, he's like an OG Bitcoiner, but he's also sort of an all-coiner, so a lot of Bitcoiners don't, don't really like him. But anyway, he's been lately he's been talking a lot about democracy, these different forms. He said there's four different forms of democracy. And to the point that you said, you know, that what, what, the, what the sort of Democrat version of democracy is today is it's our way, right? It's what we want kind of a thing, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, in regards to... Um, you know, some of the things that are going on, you know, one of the thing, th- th- these are always messy situations, if you will. I'm curious to get your point on it, you know, having this sort of lens of, of seeing how things have gone wrong. You know, one thing we hear a lot is like um, Bitcoin is used by criminals. Uh, what's your take on that? My take is that that is another bait and switch used by the enemies of Bitcoin. The, if you actually look at the data, the vast majority of money laundering and criminal activity is done in the U.S. dollar. Right. There is a chain analysis report that was released a couple days ago. Um, actually, it was the, the it was the Department of Justice that had a problem with this chain analysis report. But if you look into the, the data coming out of the chain analysis report, it, it's less than a percentage point of, of, of illicit activity being used in the Bitcoin network, right? Criminals prefer cash. They don't prefer open ledgers. But I think once again, it's being used as a straw man argument. So last year, the, uh, Department, uh, the Department of Treasury and there's a there's an office in the Department of Treasury called uh, the the OFAC, the Office of Foreign Asset Control. They used um, they used North Korea dealing with Bitcoin using this uh, this mixer thing called Tornado Cash. They used that as a justification to sanction open source software. 
setting a precedent that's never been done in American history before. So the reason I'm bringing this up is I think they'll use anything and everything to try to find something that sticks to demonize Bitcoin. And they're even using this in the rhetoric. They're even using this in the wording. For example, recent uh, in the recent bill that was introduced by, by Elizabeth Warren, it's a bipartisan bill. She has had some Republicans sign on to it, which would effectively kill the Bitcoin mining industry in the US, according to Pierre Richard. In that bill, they use the word unhosted wallet and hosted wallet. I don't know about you, Mark, but I've never seen the word unhosted wallet mentioned in the Satoshi white in the Bitcoin white paper. Unhosted wallet basically means that if you're taking your Bitcoin into self-custody, that is unhosted. But you see how they mess with the words unhosted wallet and hosted wallet. The unhosted norm wallet is, is as if that's the abnormal wallet, right? And what they're trying to do right. is they're trying to set up they're they're trying to convince the uninformed. American, the uninformed person, that somehow an unhosted wallet is dangerous. Somehow holding your own money is dangerous. Somehow holding your own money is going to enable money laundering, terrorism, you know, all the things under the sun. So, yeah, I, I think it's they're trying to find any straw man argument possible in order to stop Bitcoin adoption, because if Bitcoin adoption continues to accelerate the way it is, it's a threat to the current system. It's a threat to their to their ability to create money for free that other human beings have to have to work with. If that if that cat gets out of the bag, if people start to realize I have the ability to use a money that doesn't steal from me. In fact, I have the ability to use a money that actually increases in purchasing power. They don't have a good response to that. So I think that's just another straw man argument. I think they're going to continue to accelerate and I think they're going to continue to get more aggressive because I believe that they're stuck in a corner and I think they see that. Yeah. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Nico Moran, host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content strategy over at Swan. We're talking about Bitcoin. We're talking about freedom and some of these bigger political and social issues. Got a whole lot more to cover when I come back after a very quick break. Don't go away. I'll be right back. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right, over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs, also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. 
as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. All right, welcome back. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I'm sitting down with Nico Moran, the host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content over at, at Swan Bitcoin. If you want to get some Bitcoin, definitely check out Swan Bitcoin, friends of the program. Um, you know, Nico, we were talking about um, Bitcoin being used by criminals, and you talked about how really cash is what's typically used by criminals. Um, and then you started talking about um, how they want to control money because they don't want to lose their ability to print money. I think it, I think it's bigger than that, right? I think it's um, they need to maintain power, not just power over money, but just power generally. And of course, control the money, control the world, so to speak, right? But it's not just about greed. I think there's also power there. And I think the reason why I want to kind of expand it a little bit is you go back to just censorship overall. I think one of the biggest attributes of Bitcoin is its censorship resistant ability. And we've already talked about this in the beginning, which is without the freedom to transact, there's no freedom. Uh, so maybe even the freedom to transact is even more important than the freedom of speech, if you will. Right. I mean, it's a form of communication. Right. And so, you know, I think about um, ways that they're trying to really crimp down that whole thing in Canada. They're passing two bills that want to prevent, you know, us from doing what we're doing, creating content, being podcasters, things like this. Um, obviously, you know, see what's going over, over going on over in Europe with Russell Brand. He's allegedly accused of some things to try to take away his ability to earn money now, which is insane. And so when you think about it, it's like really like you have this, this regime that is no longer relevant and they're trying to hang on to power as best as they can. And the only way they can continue to hang on to power is through censorship and control. Right. So trying to prevent this real democratic process from happening, uh, prevent us from being able to manage our own money and send it away, uh, send it around, things like that. You mentioned Elizabeth Warren and, and some of the bills that they're that they're doing in the United States. They passed this or they haven't passed it. They've presented this Restrict Act bill, which has, I think, 24 high ranking um, members of government, uh, including the majority of them are Republicans, I think, um, which is pretty scary. And that basically says any piece of technology they deem to be a threat to national security, they could just make it illegal to use sort of like this mixer that you referenced. But I want to think about this for a minute and just this is just a, a deeper dive into this. So you made the you, you, you made the point and the data backs you up that most of the illicit activity does happen in dollars. It does. Uh, not not Bitcoin. Because Bitcoin's an open ledger. You can kind of track it. It's not the best way to do it. But what about um, them using it for for criminal activity? Um, we saw I saw today over Israel Hamas, Israel um, um, seized uh, hundreds hundred of accounts of Hamas from cryptocurrency. They were on, on Binance or whatever. But you do have potential, um, say, you know, you do have potential terrorists or whatever bad illicit activity happening in Bitcoin. Should they have the control to shut that down? I mean, I think it's a double-edged sword. I think, uh, I think you know, if, if you look at the First Amendment, right, it's, there's a reason that the Founding Fathers set it up in a way where 
because they knew that if the government had the ability to dictate speech, they would use that power in order to protect their political moat. And we have to choose whether we want a money on which no one controls, no one can censor, or do we want a money where a, bureauc where a bureaucratic elite have that godlike power to censor uh, and to stop something. And th this reminds me of this Jeff Booth uh, tweet. And he goes on to say, because broken money ensures the centralization of power by stealing the productivity through inflation that should flow to society in the form of lower prices. Those enriched by that theft and subsequent power must control the messaging to keep it. Right. So it goes to it goes back to your point. Yes, it has to do with power. Yes, it has to do with censorship. But I think what the root the root problem, the root cause of all this is the broken money. I think because there is broken money, I think they'll do everything and anything, including censor. And this was actually something that Naeem Bukele wrote in his famous article, Don't Drink the Elite's Kool-Aid, that their most important weapon is their control of truth. And they'll use that weapon in order to maintain it. Now, going back to, uh, you know, uh, terrorist organizations using Bitcoin, I am I don't have the data in front of me, but I bet my do bottom dollar that those terrorist organizations are using the dollar way more than Bitcoin. Now, is you know, is it bad? Of course, it's bad that, you know, some terrorist organizations are going to use Bitcoin. But I'm but like it, we have to talk about what the pros and the cons are. Do we want to live in a world where, like I said, a powerful political cabal uh, get to use that power? And, and again, history has shown that they they haven't used that power all you know for the better every single time. A lot of the time, they've used that power to protect themselves. I mean, look, the the Patriot Act was passed, you know, because of of the September 11th, uh, 11 attacks. Fast forward 10, 15, 20 years later, that same Patriot Act is being used to attack everyday Americans. So I think as a society, we really have to, you know, really ask that very important question. You know, there's pros and cons to both systems. I know what system I would rather use. And, and that is the most important part that you said right there. And this is the point. I was actually having a conversation with Q, my producer, uh, a little before the show, talking about this, that most people just lack nuance, right? The, almost, almost nothing is like black and white. I mean, maybe a couple of things, but most things have some sort of nuance there. And so um, you have to look at the cost benefit analysis or the pros and cons or whatever you want to call it, the trade-offs. Everything's trade-offs, right? And so uh, there might be a few people that do bad things with it, but you don't want to penalize the 99% of the people for the 1% or 2% of people that might do bad things. The other thing is that we have laws against doing bad things. So, like, we want to prevent um, terrorists from killing people. Well, we happen to have laws for killing people. We happen, we happen to have laws for that. Um, those terrorists probably drink water. They probably drive cars, right? Like, we, don't, we, we can't take away everything that they use, right? We can't take away these tools. Um, and so... Um, they used cars to get to their meeting to plan this whatever attack they did or whatever. We should we should ban cars. Um, it just doesn't make sense, and so it doesn't make sense to, to ban the money, especially considering the trade-offs that we have. Where to your point, these people are um, stealing our lives. Really, I mean that's what it comes down to, right? I mean the just if you think about home ownership alone, it's gone from two two and a half years average time it takes to save for a home pre 1971 to now almost six years, six and a half years to save for a home. It's like four years of my life that was just taken away. Uh, so it doesn't make sense to do that. I think uh, to your point, thinking about the pros and cons of that is is certainly uh, the right way to think about that. It's just hard for people to to 
think past first order thinking today, right? Seems like a hundred percent. And just to kind of add to your point about the home ownership, look, if you are under the age of 35, you're nothing more than a surf. Like you won't own anything. In fact, their own propaganda has gotten to the point where they're telling you the quiet part out loud, right? You know how they call the Bitcoin conference, the freedom conference. I call the world economic forum, the Cantillionaire conference. Their own propaganda is literally telling us you'll own nothing and be happy. So if you're under a certain age group, if you're a millennial, Millennial, if you're a Zoomer, every time they print money, it's a wealth redistribution mechanism from the lower and middle classes, which tend to be the younger generations, back to the government, back to the very wealthy. Assets become unaffordable, right? So the American dream that my parents had when they were growing up, or my parents really didn't grow up here, but uh, what I've heard, uh, you know, uh, Americans, um, the, the the so-called American dream that, you know, that's becoming more and more unattainable to, mo to, to, to a lot of people in my generation until Bitcoin. Bitcoin is now my American dream. Bitcoin now allows me to save for the future without fear of confiscation or wealth debasement. Let's let's talk about that for a minute. So you're absolutely right. Uh, we can see that uh, all the data shows us that the rich keep getting richer, the poor are getting left behind. The reason why, though, is because the rich buy assets and asset prices are going to the moon. So as they continue to print money, asset prices go higher. So uh, the reason why the rich keep getting richer is because they own the stocks, they own the, the, the houses, et cetera. And so as those go up and people don't. Now, I would say, first of all, first question is, so why can't millennials buy assets? And I get it, like house prices are, are too high, but you can buy cheap homes in the, in, in the Midwest. You can buy an $80,000 home, no problem. You could also buy one share of stock. Um, and so maybe there's an education gap there where like, um, People are are consuming too much, and so we're in this like con consumption culture. Um, but also at the same time, you know, as Michael Saylor talks about, that now for the first time in history, people can actually own a little bit of property, like this digital property. So maybe that's opening that up. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show, sitting down with Nico Moran, uh, host of Simply Bitcoin TV and director of content over at Swan Bitcoin. We'll be back with more in a minute. Don't go away. Be right back. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. 
It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So, buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So, how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud, Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less, like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com strategic. That's oracle.com strategic, oracle.com strategic. All right, welcome back. If you just tune in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. We're always talking about the decentralized revolution. As we look through the lens of politics, finance, and technology, of course, technology is Bitcoin, the decentralized technology that's changing the world. I'm sitting down with Nico Moran, the host of Simply Bitcoin TV, director of content over at Swan Bitcoin. Check out Swan Bitcoin if you want to get some Bitcoin for your portfolio. It's a good time to get it. It's always a good time to get it. Anyway, Nico, before the break, we were talking about how, um, you know, we have this divide between the rich and the poor. And, and the reason why it continues to get wider is because the rich own assets. And while certainly a lot of assets, you know, to the, the Cantillon effect are getting priced out and sure, it's, it's getting harder for millennials to buy houses and all those things. Um, millennials can buy assets and they could see their wealth go up just like the boomers do as well. Um, Obviously, real wages have gone down, so it's harder to do that. And I'm not saying that it's not a struggle, but they basically have the same opportunity to buy assets that most people do today, not not counting BlackRock and Blackstone and those guys. But um, do you think part of it comes down to, one, I guess, education? They don't understand that. Um, and two, maybe the culture that we have today is sort of like this instant gratification. So they'd rather go out and party with their boys at night and buy a bottle than buy assets. Um, do you think it's maybe more that, or is it that people are struggling so much they don't even have a spare dime to put into an asset? So I think it's a combination of both, right? According to a CNBC article, 61% of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. So, you know, right. a huge percentage of the American public, they just, they can't afford to buy assets. That in turn gives a very bad lane to capitalism because people blame capitalism uh, for literally something that was caused by a central bank, by centralization, right, by central planning. Uh, so I think that contributes to it. And then another... And just to, just to cut you off on that, uh, per Karl Marx in the Communist Manifesto, point number yep. five, 10 points of communism, point of five is a central bank. Uh, that's not a capitalism thing. That's a that's a communist thing. But anyway, Absolutely, 100%. By the way, I highly recommend that, that book. It's great. Mark and Svetsky wrote it. Very, very good book. Um, so I think it's a combination of people just not being able to afford things. And then that infects the culture, right? So you have a lot of the youth that are nihilistic, right? They they live for tomorrow. They don't live for the future. This whole saving idea is completely out of the question. A lot of the socialist and Marxist ideas start to seem alluring and rightly so to them because they feel like they got jaded where, where they're mistaken. Where they're mistaken is that it's not the economic system that's broken. 
it's the money that's broken, right? And that's the lift really to us Bitcoiners and content creators like yourself, Mark, you being one of the most talented that I know, it's really getting that message out there, breaking out of the Bitcoin echo chamber, so to speak, and really educating people on the matter. It's like, hey, it's a good idea to save. It's a good idea to have hope for the future. But I think if you're living under under a fiat standard, I think that it's impossible to have hope for the future. I think you're nihilistic living on a fiat standard. I think if you live on Bitcoin or if you live on a physical gold standard, right, where your wealth isn't being devalued, I think that changes your operating system in your mind. And all of a sudden you have optimism for the future. You you start thinking long term. You start thinking about saving for a brighter and better future. Right. So I think it's a combination of people just can't afford to buy assets and just this this uh, this this cultural issue that has infected society in the U.S. coming from a communist country, coming from a socialist company to the U.S., I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt, the U.S. is one of the greatest countries on planet Earth. And I'm extremely grateful to be here. I don't see that in the U.S. today with a lot of people that were natively born here. They see they grow up and they it's almost as if they hate the country. Right. And to me, that blows my mind. Right. So I think it's a combination of two factors. Yeah, I would agree. And I think and I think maybe the point that I'm kind of digging out in that is that, um, you know, we we the youth potentially, you know, education system has kind of taught us that, like, uh, we have to own a home. And because I can't afford to own a home, then I just can't afford anything. So I'll just go party all my money away. Um, the stock market, like whatever, it's going to fall. I mean, what am I going to do? Buy one share of Amazon? Like, what's that going to do for me? Um, but I could just buy $5 worth of Bitcoin. And so it's like, oh, well, I'll just put 15 bucks in. And then it's like, um, it's, it's, it's like the, the, the starting is always the hardest part. So once you get $15 worth, then it goes to 25. It's like, well, let me see if I can get to a hundred. Let me see if I can get to a thousand. Let me see. And, and then it kind of starts that path. So maybe it's like, it lowers the bar to ownership and it kind of gives you this like uh, advantage of maybe this newer asset class that maybe has some potential versus, you know, the Amazon or Nvidia that's probably already overvalued. So it's sort of like maybe gives someone a lower barrier to entry. Um, but really it's just about starting and um, kind of getting that ball rolling. You know, in regards to that, uh, starting and getting the ball rolling, you know, one of the biggest things that I think we've probably always been hit, I'm sure you have been hit up as many times as I have, is like when people are thinking about Bitcoin, is like, won't the governments just make it illegal? And we had started out this conversation talking about how they're trying to pass bills to prevent it. You know, we got Elizabeth Warren and her and her crew, um, Gary Gensler and his crew, et cetera, trying to really kind of prevent this in the EU, trying to pass laws to kind of restrict it, et cetera. And so one of these questions that we hear all the time is like, won't they just make it illegal? But we're sort of at this point where like the level of entrenchment inside the government has reached a pretty high level. We now have like dozens of like high ranking members in government that are Bitcoiners now, including to the point you were talking about uh, current um, current acting speaker of the House, the third highest member in the government right now, Patrick McHenry, is a Bitcoiner. A hundred percent. And and if you look at the presidential you know, line of succession, right, you know, God forbid anything happens to Biden or Vice President Kamala Harris, this is that he will become president. Right. And of course, you know, and technically he's an interim speaker. They're looking for the next speaker, but he hosts the Bitcoin white paper on his we- on his website. He's been very, very pro Bitcoin anti CBDC. But it's not only just happening 
on, you know, on the on the House level. Right. It's also happening on the presidential level as well. The second place for the Republican presidential second and third place, Ron DeSantis, uh, who is currently governor of Florida, he passed an anti-CBDC bill in Florida. And one of the mission statements that he said if he were to to be elected president would be to protect Bitcoin. He literally said that, quote, protect Bitcoin. Second is also Vivek Ramaswamy, who's also a big fan of Bitcoin. And it's a bipartisan thing because on the Democratic side, I know he just uh, he just stepped down from the the Democratic side and he went independent. We have RFK Jr. who gave that famous speech at the Bitcoin 2023 conference conference where he said, if you elect me, I'll protect your right to run a node, take self-custody of your Bitcoin. So there's a non-zero chance that in 2024, we'll have a Bitcoin, a pro-Bitcoin anti-CBDC president in the White House. And I and I'm calling it right now. By the time 2028 comes along, I think it's going to become politically unviable for any politician to run a successful campaign in the U.S. and have a chance of getting elected if they take an anti-Bitcoin pro-CBDC stance. So in terms of moving moving the Overton window, in terms of where we're heading, I think we're heading in the right direction. And they they have a really, really hard time because they, they have a race against the clock to really roll out this CBDC and get this CBDC adopted before enough of the population is holding Bitcoin. It's very interesting. I would also throw out Tulsi Gabbard yeah. was also from the Democratic Party. Now she's sort of like leaving that. But, you know, it is sort of bipartisan to your point. She spoke at the Bitcoin conference as well. So we do really see both sides of them there. And this level of entrenchment that we've that we've seen into the government is 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 massive to your point. So I like that. I would say, you know, it's interesting. You kind of made the point that in 2028, it would be um, someone wouldn't be able to win running on like this anti-Bitcoin platform. We've seen Elizabeth Warren come in on this like anti-crypto platform. If you will, and I asked ChatGPT, I said, uh, "When in when in history, U.S. history, has any politician run on a platform to um, ban something or take something away?" And it gave me this answer that it's never happened, and no one would ever run on that because America is a free country, and who would ever run on taking away freedoms? And I'm like, exactly. Like, how is this running on an anti-platform to take away my right to have something? Uh, just makes no sense. Uh, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to The Mark Moss Show. I've been sitting down with Nico Moran, the host of Simply Bitcoin TV and director of content over at Swan Bitcoin. Uh, check him out over there. Give him a follow. We'll link to him in the show notes down below. And that's what we got for the show today. Thanks so much for listening. Till next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. 
smart journalism. Fascinating topics. Words that describe CNN's podcast, The Assignment with Audie Cornish. We are revisiting the public school culture wars. What have we learned from the kids who fought against book bans? We really started the club to get students reading these books. Students have an opinion in this fight, too. How has the war over books sparked a backlash to the so-called parents' rights movement? It's not okay what they're doing, and they're being watched. Listen to The Assignment with Audie Cornish, streaming now on the iHeartRadio app.